know, Daniel, we, we sort of approached the Work His Way series by addressing some general principles around what it would be to represent the Lord in the workplace. That was right on the heels of living it out. And we talked about how you know, we really do want to live out our faith in Jesus and invite others into life with him and how so much of that takes place in the workplace where we work, where we engage people. And so we spent some time talking about that and, and we then shifted our focus towards a particular study, like a case study of a man in the Bible who has a book named after him as well, who wrote, who wrote that book, the book of Daniel. And we were, we've been focusing on this character from the Older Testament, this, this amazing man, actually, Daniel, who had such a challenging work environment. And so we've been drawing principles from his life. Now, I know not all of us necessarily are familiar with the, with the account of Daniel and his story. Not everyone necessarily has even been here the past few weeks. But um, you know, many of us are aware and have been tracking. And one of the, when we left off, Daniel had been in this really unique situation, if, you, if some of us may recall. He, he was, <laughs> there, there was actually a plot going on where he worked, if we can put it that way. There was a, pl there was a plot that was being de designed to take him out. In his case, the, the goal was actually not just to have him removed from his office um, and his position, but it was actually if, the ideal scenario for his enemies and rivals would be to actually have him killed. And so it was a, a very delicate and devious thing that they planned out. Some of us may remember that Daniel had been, was being rumored to be placed above um, all the, of his other peers. It was going to be second only to the king, the king of, of Babylon, who at the time was the Medan, the Persian appointed king, King Darius. And these rivals <laughs> created this plan. They, they had an idea that there was two things that they could exploit. One, they felt like they couldn't exploit Daniel's quality of work. They tried to go behind the scenes. They went through his life in the back doors, looking for opportunities to sort of ex exploit something that they might have seen, some impropriety, something that he had on the side that he wasn't revealing. But when they looked at the quality of his work, the quality of his life, they couldn't find anything. But they, they had a sense, and it was an accurate one, that if they could, there was one particular vulnerability that Daniel possessed, and that had to do with his faith and his love for God and his commitment to practicing that faith, even in a foreign land that he was in. Because remember, Daniel had been taken as a young man um, from Israel, captive. He was brought to Babylon. And uh, there's no sense that he was ever going to be given the freedom to return to his homeland. And so he ends up moving into his adult years, very skilled at what he did. He was a highly skilled administrator. And he had a particular gift for it and a quality of character that matched it. But there was never a sense that he was going home. He was not free. But they knew that this tenacious commitment he had to his faith in God was something that if they were looking for a way to bring him down, that was the, seemed to be the spot that they could exploit. And so they came up with a plan. The plan involved two things. One, an assumption that Daniel probably wouldn't compromise his core commitments to the Lord and his practice of what they called his religion. And secondly, they thought, you know, the king is vulnerable because he's got a big ego. And if we can create a scenario where by appealing to the king's ego, we can put Daniel in a place where he's going to, in a sense, destroy himself because he won't compromise his faith, then we can take him out that way. And so they came up with this plan. 
And they went to the king and they said, you know, we'd like to do something to honor you for about 30 days. And when we, we talked about this, we'd actually like to have a law drawn up. And according to the law, the Medes and the Persians, king, once you put your seal on it, once you sign it, it's irrevocable, even by you. You know, the, you know the law of the land, but we'd like to have you honored in a special way to be worshiped above all things, right? Like, a, like the king God that you are. And so if you would do this, we'll make, we would like to pr- propose a, a law that would suggest that for these 30 days, no one can worship anyone but you. And so he, he was flattered and he agreed to do it. He signed it into law. Well, sure enough, they had done that only to be able to set up a scenario to get Daniel because they figured Daniel is not going to go along with this law. They knew they had an idea that he was going to um, violate it. And so that sets up where we're going to pick up the story in Daniel 6. And you can see it. This is in, in your, in your uh, handouts. It's in the Bible if you want to follow along. For those of you who have your Bible app, you can do that as well. But I want to have us just look at that 10th verse, and we'll start right there, because they went to work, and they, they, had a, they had calculated things properly. It says that when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he, where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day, and then he prayed, and he gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. And these men came by agreement and they found Daniel making his petition, his prayers and his plea before his God, just like they assumed he would. Like when the law was passed, it didn't change Daniel's practice. They knew it. We joked about it last week. They all jumped into the room, took out their iPhones and says, we got you, right? I mean, the idea that they caught him in the act of praying. So if you, if you look at this, I, I want to draw some things from it, though. And I'll, I'll sort of walk, we'll walk through how this ends in a moment. But there were some things that I think I want to just at least highlight in relation to work his way. And one of them is, seems so obvious, but I, I'd like to just put it up there. And, and that is this, that there was a public component, you guys, to Daniel's faith. This is important for us, especially those of us who have a love for the Lord and desire to represent him in our work environments, even when we're cross-pollinating with other sectors of sort of our, our field that when we engage others, we would like to be able to represent the Lord well. And I think it's important to remember that there was a, a, a kind of openness on the part of Daniel, even though he was in an extraordinarily complex environment in which a lot of things happened that he didn't feel good about. I think some of us can relate to that. It, he didn't have a lot of choice. And yet, I, I, I just wanted to know, people were aware of his commitment to the Lord. They were aware of it. people knew about it. Even his his enemies clearly knew about it. His rivals knew about it. Um, Even the king knew about it to some degree, as we're going to see in a moment. Daniel wasn't secretive about his love for the Lord, the God of Israel. He was neither, if we can put it this way, neither overly aggressive, nor was he ashamed. He wasn't covert. That's pretty apparent. He is revealed, and I can use this phrase, and I think it's an, an, a healthy one for us. He is revealed as having adapted to, if we can put it this way, to the culture without adopting it. So he adapted to the culture without adopting the culture. And it was a very, he, he's living again in Babylon. He, 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 he chooses not to adopt its presuppositions and worldviews. He retains a distinctiveness and an, in his faith even as he attempted to fit into the courts of Babylon. 
So there's this, this, there's this very important thing for us to be thinking about. No doubt there were choices that he had to make. I've tried to make the case that they weren't always easy. All of us will have different situations where we have different levels of freedom to express our love for the Lord. There are certain cultures where it is a lot more easy to do that, where the challenges are different. Some, some of us, the challenge really isn't that we can't, it's just that we feel peer pressure not to. It may be in other cases that there might be aspects of our lives that we feel don't line up the way we, we would hope they would. And so perhaps just that alone keeps us sometimes from maybe being too outspoken about you know how we want to follow God and what an important thing it is in our lives. Others of us, it's just clearly, un, you know, our, our, even if it's unsaid, sometimes it's just overtly, overtly made known that there is a way in which things are operating here. And um, if you have a faith and a genuine love for the Lord, based on some of the stereotypes that are out there, particularly as they're in the news today, are often exploited, that there is this kind of pressure to say nothing, to be very underneath the ground, if you will, like almost like a chameleon who just sort of adapt. Daniel clearly had to deal with things that weren't always easy. There were, there were areas that he probably felt did not feel good about and had to sort of work with them. And then there were other areas where maybe he had to feel like this is an area where I have to at least attempt to hold my line. There were areas, at, probably situations that came up where based on his, his commitment to the Lord, he had to find an alternative third path. And there were other times where he felt like perhaps I need to just not, not push on this and go with it. But, but there clearly were things that people were aware of that connected his life to a love for God. That's pretty apparent. But so not only was there this, this kind of public component, but there was also, and I'll put this up as a second piece, there was a clear self, you know, kind of private self-management component to his faith as well, to his spiritual life. It's revealed in these verses, right? He was a man, and you can see it, right? with established patterns and practices of devotion. We read that 10th verse, right? He prayed, as we mentioned last week, regularly. In his case, he did it three times a day, specifically. He based this on a, pra a practice and a pattern. He prayed in the morning, in the evening, and at noon. He marked his opening of his day by spending that time with God. He had a middle point in his day where he reminded himself of of who the Lord was in his life. And then he had a point at the close of his day where he reflected back on it and honored God as a way of marking its close. This is a pattern and a rhythm in the life of Daniel. And I think that it's very important. And oh, one more thing you notice there in that 10th verse, right? In that 11, 10th and 11th verses there, he had a place of space where he prayed, which is interesting, right? It's a, he had a rhythm and he had a place. It says that he would go up to his house, seemingly when possible, most likely he had a lot of flexibility to do it. And it, but he wouldn't just go, he would go into the upper chamber, it says, into an upper room of his house. There was a space that he had dedicated as part of his rhythm of meeting with God. And it's important to note that, you know, I was thinking about it because he did this and it, it allowed him to keep the Lord on his mind at the center of his life. If, if some of you are probably, some of us are probably aware, our Lord, I mean, Jesus, when he was on earth, did something very similar. I asked him if they could just put a, a verse or two up here. And, and this is important. In Mark 1, it says this, now in the morning, this is an example of Jesus, who, if anyone didn't need to pray, is Jesus. 
but yet he aligned himself in his humanity with the Father. He did it seemingly on a pretty consistent basis. And look at that verse. It says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, you see, before the day even starts, he went out and departed to a solitary place, right? And there he prayed. And, he, and then we see another example where he, often, he, him, he himself often, notice that, withdrew into the wilderness and he prayed. There's, there's a practice with the Lord because there were always people around him to create space to be alone with the Father. It was, it was a very critical part of the example of the Lord. And I think we live in a particularly noisy world. We are constantly, in fact, I, I would say generationally, there's never been a generation as noisy as ours. And I mean that from the standpoint of we're always connected. Always. I mean, it takes, it takes tremendous energy to disconnect ourselves from technology. And I am not um, anti-technology by any stretch of the words. I think it's a tremendous gift that we've been given. At the same time, it carries with it unique things that can create a certain level of toxicity, particularly, though not exclusively, at a spiritual level. Because we're always, we're always, it's like, it's hard, you have to create space. What I, what I noticed Jesus, and I see this happening with Daniel as well, is they, they had a practice of space creation in their lives where they could get alone and line. Daniel's case, he would line up and seek God. In, in the Lord's case, when he was on earth, he would align himself with the Father. And, it, and here's the thing, and I, ask, and I want them to just put this up. One of the things we know about prayer is that it's a way of reorienting ourselves towards God, right? So prayer... And devotion is kind of a refocusing mechanism that helps put things back into perspective and place. Because there is that tendency to start getting off course. We start drifting. We start, because the vo- again, the, the, the words that are coming at us, the, the things that are, we're just bombarding our life on a regular basis are not really moving us towards the Lord. We've got to have alignment time to do this right, to have the character base that Daniel had required a consistent realignment. And we will notice that in our own lives, that there is always going to be a connection between what happens in our inner world and what shows up in our outer world. Uh, What comes out in our relationships is usually a product of what's going on with our critical relationship with the Lord. These are are places where we get ourselves focused back in the right direction. And we can get ourselves, sometimes some things just start weighing on our minds. We start getting anxious about stuff. Uh, we maybe start putting the wrong emphasis on things. We start getting offended over on this issue. We start getting out of sorts. We're, we're focusing on the wrong things. Uh, we've got our priorities inverted. And, and, and sometimes in these places, what we're seeing is that the, what prayer can do for us is it allows us to sort of dig through all the stuff and get to the, 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 you know, the, the heart of the matter. And that's one of the reasons why we talk about the value of, if you want to follow the Lord in a healthy way, we always talk about the value of devotions. It's having a time to express our devotion to the Lord and to receive an interaction of life with Him. One of the things we encourage everyone to do is have time of prayer. Just just talk to the Lord and listen for Him. Have have your scriptures open. Have a passage. Read it through. Try to read the Bible in a regular way. We're going to see that's something that, that Daniel actually did. And one of the things we always encourage everyone to do is try to have a devotional as well. That's like a little commentary, a little thought, a little prayer point. We, we have these things that we just always make available. They're called little daily breads. Anyone can have one. You can pick one up anytime. 
at the church, we have them available, uh, you, you know, for just as a supplemental piece. If, if you've never actually done a devotional, it's nice. You have a little verse to read, a little commentary, a little prayer. The, the pastors at either campus can help you if you want to know, have, a, have more, uh, under, you know, exposure to other types of devotions that can be read with the scriptures and as part of a prayer life. And, and, there's all, and anyone who's actually been following Jesus for any amount of time, will be able to help someone if you're newer to know how can I deepen my personal life with God. What I'm trying to say is for this to work well, that piece needs to be there. It's an important part. Otherwise, we can drift out. Daniel, oh, I look at this and I was looking at it one more time. To a certain extent, his consistency, the quality of his person was really connected to the sincere and disciplined way in which he approached his relationship with God. I mean, I was even looking at it. Even the, the physicality of his prayer, his, the ritual of it, do you see what's going on here? There's a symbolism in it. I mean, think about what he's doing. Just in your mind's eye, I was trying to imagine it in my mind's eye. Because there were certain things he would do as mechanisms that were a part of his way of approaching the Lord. Think about it. He had times that he would do it, and then he would go up. It says he would go to his house, and then he would walk up the stairs to the upper chamber. But when he got to the upper chamber, we're told something else that he would do, right? He would then, because he could never go back home to Jerusalem, he could never, he didn't think that was necessarily gonna happen for him, but he prayed as best as he could towards the place of promise. And so he would open up, I mean, the picture we have it is Daniel walking in this room, right? And then he, find, he has a window and the window is facing westward. And he opens that window and then the Bible says that he gets down on his, it says very specifically, he gets, in his case, he gets down on his knees and he begins to pray towards the open windows, towards Jerusalem, towards the place of promise. And he begins to pray to God. There's a very consistent approach that he's taken. I mean, even the very act of kneeling that we're given is a sense of humbling himself under the Lord. And he's beginning to honor the Lord. And he's beginning to reach forward into that open space. I love the idea of him. I love the idea of, of Daniel opening the windows and bringing himself to a point where he begins to pray towards Jerusalem, the place where the Lord's presence is identified in the temple of the Lord, where his people are, the place of promise. Um, again, I had, and this got me thinking, and part I just want to submit this to you, but it's meant something to me. And it was more, I, I want to put it in the form of a question. But are there windows that God wants us to open up as a symbol of faith and hope? That promises that he wants us to pray into and believe for? Every time Daniel opened up those windows, he was making a statement. And it was connected to the hope that someday his captive people would be allowed to return home to the land of Israel and the great city of David, Jerusalem. If you check out Daniel 9 and you read it, one of the things you'll see in that ninth chapter is, is that Daniel is reading the writings of the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, in his writings, essentially said, he prophetically declared that the, people, that the Jewish people would be allowed to return to the land of their fathers after 70 years of captivity, that there would become the first movement of return would occur about 70 years into captivity, that, that when a sort of a season of judgment had occurred in the life of God's people, there was going to come a release. And Daniel, when he would open up that, those windows, and, and he clearly had the scripture, so that's another example, he would take it and he would pray into the promise 
into that promise. He opened it up and he prayed into it. And I, and, I, and I found myself saying, Lord, are there things that you are calling me to open up and to pray into on the basis of your promise? And there are going to be things like, there's something about that. Uh, are there some things that the Lord is saying, you need to pray into this. You need to prom- points of, uh, it might be points of promise and liberation in our own life, right? It might have to do with a legacy that God wants us to leave behind. And we're having a hard time. That's, that, 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 the pull of that is, is it's, it's having a hard time keeping us, right? Maybe there's something that we feel that God is trying to say that in this season of your life, I want to establish this. But I need you to pray into this promise. I need you to confess this promise. I need you to open up the windows and move towards that promise. It's a promise to come to pass. Some of us, it might have to do with a, a situation we find ourselves in, maybe even at the workplace. It might have to do with a person, a relationship, a situation, maybe a child. I've talked to some of you. Maybe it's a child who's now an adult who, needs, who we pray and yearn to see come back to the Lord. The seeds are there. We pray into that promise. I've seen people who I love come to the Lord in their 60s and 70s in amazing, productive ways, contributing. That's, there's, there's, we cannot underestimate. We, know, we, cannot, we do not know. Again, it's fascinating. How many years was that promise for Daniel? It was a 70-year promise he was praying into. I don't know how long of the way it was. Clearly, he was somewhere into it. But it was a part of his life. Maybe for some of us, it has to do with the point. That, this is another application. In, in Daniel's case, he was in captivity. Maybe there's a point of captivity in our lives that we feel we need to be released from. Or at least it's a, it's a hindrance that's keeping us from some place of promise that we sense God wants us to move into. Are there things he wants to open up our, us to open up our windows towards a posture he wants us to take towards a promise in our lives that we're, we're feeling called to claim as our own? Okay, go to the rest of the passage. Let's look at verse 12. It says, then they came near. You can see this will follow. Then they came near and they said before the king, watch what happens next. So they catch Daniel praying. They say, oh, king, you know, um, we need to bring something to your attention. Uh, Did you, I know you know this, but just kind of want to remind you, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days, except you, uh, oh, king, that they would be cast into the den of lions, which was their way of saying they'd be put to death. That was the mechanism which, which it was done. And the, the king answered and said, the thing stands fast, of course. According, as you know, to the law of the Medes and the Persians, once I gave that approval, it cannot be revoked. It's part of our way. It's the law of our land, the law of our people. Of course I know that. Uh, just wanted to remind you of that because it says that there, Lord, the, uh, King, uh, there is this man, you know him well, Daniel, you know one of the exiles, look at verse 13, one of the exiles from Judah. I think you need to be aware of the fact that he doesn't pay attention to you. This decree means nothing to him. Uh, he, the injunction you have signed, he totally ignores it and in fact violates it. Three times a day he prays to his God. Then the king heard these words. He was very distressed. And for the first time he realized what this was all about. 
Later on, we're going to see that the king actually had an affection. He cared for Daniel. He respected Daniel. He appreciated Daniel. There's a reason why, I believe. But once he realizes now that he's been being played, it's like, you played my ego, didn't you? Now he's distressed. Why? Because he fears. He fears that there's no way out of this situation. He's going to lose Daniel. Daniel's a key man for him. He understands what's happened. He's very disturbed. Look what it says. He sets his mind to deliver Daniel. In fact, he spends the entire day trying to figure a way around the law. He labored till the sun went down to find a way to somehow create an exclusion, somehow get him out of the situation. He couldn't find a way to rescue him, though. And he finally gets to the point, if you read on in the passage, he gets to the point where he finally, reluctantly, has to concede. And he feels like he has no choice. Daniel has... He's going to have to be thrown into the den of, of hungry lions, which was, again, something that, oh, I, it was a, I know we don't use that as a, this might be where it doesn't, we don't relate directly to that anymore, obviously. Um, but I will suggest that the, the lions, um, uh, having a den of lions and throwing someone into it was a, I would guess a reliable, say this, a reliable way of execution in their day. Um, <laughs> how, this is how it worked. They had patterns of eating, and they were particularly groomed for moments. And it was not uncommon for a person before they even, they were thrown, there was usually like a hole, and there would be a, a cave or a den below. And it was not uncommon for the person who was being put to death to be thrown, again, thrown into the hole, and before they even completely hit the ground, because it was a pattern of feeding, they, they would be torn to shreds in rap rapidly. And so it, 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 it sounds brutal, and it was, but, I mean, it was a method that was extremely effective. That was what Daniel was facing. And, and all I can remember, you know, I was, I was looking at this, and I, keep, I always remember back to when I was a boy, because... I grew up um, uh, on 47th Avenue until um, I was around 12 years old. I lived uh, right by the beach there between uh, Wawona and Vicente on 47th Avenue, which if any of you who know the city, you know that it's right across the street essentially from where old Fleischacker Pool, but now, and, and what was known then as Fleischacker Zoo, which is our zoo now. And I remember, because as a boy, uh, for a period of my time, it was free. We can go in, and it was like a playground. I would go there with some of my neighborhood friends, and we'd hang out there. But one of the things I always remembered, and it somehow it stuck in my mind vividly, and I don't even remember, know if they still do it, but I knew that, and I think it was around 2 o'clock, there was always the lion feeding, right? And I was so intrigued by it. I, I remember, oh, i got to go back. i got to go to the lion house to watch it. And I remember, I still, again, probably bigger in my mind's eye, but, you know, in my memory. But as a boy, I remember seeing them bring out what it looked like, huge slabs of meat. And then the, the lion would go at it and start eating it. I don't, for some reason, I always think about Daniel when I think about that. I, I just, <laughs> I do. And, and I, I, I was looking at it. And so, you know, if the king, he, right, uh, Daniel, what happens, we're told in the scripture, is that Daniel is spared miraculously. I mean, he's thrown down there. And as he's falling, what we're told is he's not eaten. He's not even touched. Right? That, now, either because, you know, <laughs> because either God, you know, God supernaturally intervened to keep the lions at bay, or at least he made 
Daniel unappetizing. How about that, all right? In some way or another. It's like, but the king who is revealed as a friend and an admirer of Daniel, we're told that he couldn't eat or sleep the whole night. He comes the next morning fully expecting that his best employee has, has been devoured. And he's, he's stunned. Darius is stunned, amazed, overjoyed to find him alive. And I think some of us know this. I know not everyone necessarily would. I didn't know it growing up because I was not a person of wealth or power. But one of the things I realized was that when I, as the years have gone by, that I would sometimes meet people who had an unusual amount of, of, of wealth or power in their lives. And it began to dawn on me sometimes how lonely they were. And I, I, it took me a while because they, a lot of times they couldn't trust if people really liked them for who they were or they're just trying to use it. And I someone said, well, I would like to have that problem, right? Well, there's a real issue there. I think Darius had few people he trusted, really. One of the things that's revealed here is that Daniel wasn't just his best employee. He was also someone who was a friend, who had become a friend to him. Like he could trust him. In a, in a culture where you could clearly see people were working all over the place to try to manipulate for position and take people down. You had to watch out from your back, you know, getting stabbed from behind, right? And here you have a person that, that the king has that is actually a quality man who he trusts, who has a kindness to him and is a real, true goodness to him that's connected, obviously, in his case, to his love for God. And so uh, it, look what it says, verse 19. It says, and we'll, fin we'll finish with these, th these verses. It says, then at the break of day, the king arose and he went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out, and I love this, in a tone of anguish, right? The, cling, the king declared to Daniel, and, oh, Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, has he been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, which I love this phrase, oh, king, live forever, right? My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth the mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was fair and blameless and innocent before him and also truly before you, O king, I've done no harm. And then I just put this verse up, verse 23. It says, the king was exceedingly glad and commanded the, that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in God. The Bible says it so simply, so beautifully, so unadorned in his attempt to try to persuade us beyond anything than just stating it. Now listen, I know this was a miraculous deliverance. We get that. And not every deliverance comes to us in the way we want on this side of eternity. This too I have seen. Some healing, as I've told people in their wounds, some healing and deliverance comes on the other side fully. Um, if it, all of us, we were having this discussion last night with someone. I said, all of us are going to, I'm not here for, I'm, I, this body will not last in this life. We'll be gone from this world. We all will. Some healing and deliverance comes on when we cross the bridge, if you will, in promise in Christ. But as I think about it, as I thought about it, I do believe the Lord has things he wants to deliver us from and into. And this is my last point of, that I would love to submit and last thought. I believe there are dens, there are places from which God wants to deliver us, loved ones. And I think what we're being invited into, many of us, a few of us here, is his capacity to deliver. You know, dens are those places in our lives of peril, 
right? Where we fear for our life, wonder if we'll survive. I've been through a few. Might be in one or two now, even to some degree. I mean, there are places where, at least I can say this, there are places where if God doesn't show up, we know we're in trouble. It could be at work. You know, like Daniel's situation had to do with his work. He, if God didn't show up, he was in trouble. He had, it, it could be in our home life. Could be with something financial. I don't know. Could be health-related. In fact, if you want to get down to it, Daniel's was a health-related issue. All right? Where do we desperately need God to show up for us? That's, that's the question. What deliverance do we need? I'll leave us with this. In Psalm, and this verse meant something to me. Psalm 27, 13 and 14. Look what it says. I would have lost heart unless I had believed. Unless I had believed, I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I love that. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then the psalmist says this. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Now the word wait there is an interesting word. It, it, if you look at it in the Hebrew, it means to linger with expectation. But if you probe even more deeply into the root of the word, kava, what you find is that it actually has some interesting distinctive in it. It actually, at its most, at its most base root, they're not quite sure exactly how the word evolved, but what they're pretty clear is this word we translate weight had to do with something like with a, um, it had to do with this idea of gathering something together, all right, and then tying it and twisting it. So the word is connected to the idea of twisting something that is pulled around something that's been gathered together, which is a fascinating metaphor if you think about it, because the idea of waiting, first off, it, it involves time to collect it. But the idea of twisting something, so the, it wasn't just like even tying a knot. It had to do this idea of twisting a, a, like a rope or a line around what was gathered. And there's something about this idea of waiting on the Lord. And in my mind, I was thinking, you know, Lord, it's sort of like you're, you're using, to use the word at its root. It's like in these situations where we need courage, because fear is there. And fear can show up in a lot of ways. It doesn't always show up in timid, like I'm afraid. Fear can show up in anger, where we feel like we have to be aggressive. Or it can show, it can show itself up in, in stoic, unfeeling kind of disconnectedness because we're trying to get ourselves. I mean, it shows up in a lot of ways. Fear gets us sometimes into doing stuff that's unhealthy for But the Lord says, you know what, be of good courage, right? And what? He will strengthen our heart. Wait. I say to you, wait on the Lord. Again, linger with expectation. And then that idea of intertwining something as we get, when you're gathering, it takes time. So we intertwine our, something about that idea of intertwining reminded me that it's like I'm waiting with the idea that I'm not alone. Me and, I'm, I'm with you, Lord, and you're with me. I have intertwined myself in this situation with you. We're together. It's like the, the idea of twisting that piece is part of the waiting process with the Lord. So I'm not just like waiting. I'm waiting with him, intertwined into my situation. I think that's what Jesus was doing when he's, when in, right before the cross, when he goes into the garden, he, and he, he, he essentially intertwines himself with the Father. When he says, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, 
I intertwine myself with your will, not my will, but yours be done, right? There's this idea of aligning and intertwining and waiting in that moment. I think there's something about that when our will and his will is sort of connected together. It's like my future is intertwined with you. As I'm waiting in this situation, as I'm praying into this open window, as I'm believing for this promise, I intertwine myself with you in it. We are woven together here, Lord, you and me. Not, I'm not by myself. I brought you right into this waiting time of my life. See the power that's in that? Daniel's a model of it. And a lot of times that's how God brings his deliverance into our lives. And by the way, it's not just the outcome. Listen, it's the process of getting there that oftentimes is where the real growth takes place. All right, let's pray together. And we'll have our time of giving. And, uh, and Lord, I do thank you for the faithfulness of, of our church. Um, those who, I, I need to say it, Lord, those who who's express their devotion to you, not just in their private time with you, but in the way in which they, they honor you, even in their giving patterns, what allows us to even be a church and to have this expression it can reach out in your name in the city. So I thank you for that faithfulness. I need to say that. I don't say that enough. But I also want to ask, Lord, that you would, again, as we, as we bring this time to a close, that you would just underscore or emphasize or highlight uh, the area that we're to be praying into at this time in our life. Again, a lot of this has had to do with being very specific with our intentions, to not being a, a passive uh, follower of you, but someone who is contending for promise in our lives. And then we, some of us are in these waiting zones. We're not even sure what, when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. We feel a lot like Daniel. We're, we're praying into a promise we believe uh, we don't know when exactly it's going to happen, where we are totally in the place of waiting, but we're trusting you. We're intertwining our life with you. We're, we're walking with you. We're not pushing you away. We're including you right there. Where you go, we go. Where, where, where we go, we have you with us. Lord, lo, you said I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Lord, walk with us, not just to the end of the age, but walk with us in the season of our life that we're in. And wherever it is that we need to have more courage, more trust, um, let us remember that in the end, it's because of you and what you've done that's made it possible for us to follow you the way we would like to follow and honor you and bless others. So I pray the blessing of the goodness and the grace of Jesus over all of us here, all of us at the other camp. I just pray for it in the name of Jesus. Amen, Lord. Amen.